Hello and welcome to the uplevelmind.com podcast. My name is Drasco and I'm your host for this Real Talk segment where each episode I bring on a heart-centered entrepreneur and live on the call coached him through one central question. Are my business problems actually me problems? In that, I help them uncover why despite knowing all of the business strategies and having done all of the business courses, they are unable to get past their current revenue plateau. Each guest leaves with a deeper understanding of what inner narratives and patterns they need to overcome to realize their next revenue milestone. Without further ado, here's today's guest. Today's guest is Jed Rigonte, who is an attorney at Turn Entrepreneur, who is passionate about sustainability and environmental conservation. He is the owner of Hill Country Rainwater, which is a company that specializes in designing and installing rainwater harvesting systems. And this is for residential and commercial properties in Texas. So Jed, thank you very much for being on. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to dive into this. I, th- I think you're the, the first guest I've ever had that has come in with a business of uh, rainwater installation or like conservation, et cetera. So, I mean, I guess good to be number one, but I- I'd love to actually just know, like, w- what is that about? How did you go from lawyer to, to doing that? Just going to give us a-, a breakdown of your story. Wow. Okay. So that's tough. So let's do the the second part first or the first part second. Um, What is rainwater harvesting? So it's exactly what it sounds like. It is taking rain that falls on your roof, collecting it, moving it to a storage tank, pumping it back to a filtration system, filtering that water to make it potable, and then putting it into the house plumbing for drinking, for washing, for whatever you're going to use it for. Um, that's it in a nutshell. The, the, the drill down into how you do each of those steps is obviously the, the science and the art of what we do, but that's it. And it is a fully renewable resource that falls on your roof. It's one of the cleanest sources of water you could possibly imagine, obviously. Um, we do have now with uh, the inf- with what we have with these microplastics in the air, PFAS. Um, it does show up in rainwater as well. It shows up in groundwater. It shows up everywhere, really. But we filter that out. We use uh, carbon filters to get that out. So we feel like you know, all on balance, it's the best water that you could possibly put in your body. It's exactly as nature intended it. So the second part of that, how'd I get here? That one, that's comp, that's a, that's a, that's a journey. So I'm going to try to give you the reader's digest version and just sum it up as best I can. I did not love the practice of law. I enjoy the jurisprudence. I love theory. I like so if you got me into a, a philosophical conversation about constitutional law or tort law or any of the, any of the other things, I could I could extemp on that for hours and really enjoy that. The practice of law is a different beast, um, especially what I did. I was a civil trial lawyer, and th- these cases go on for years. And I maybe I'm just a little too emotional. It, I think it, it was a I think it was a plus. My passion is probably my greatest strength, but it might also be my greatest weakness. Because I can't give less than everything. And that meant getting sucked into these uh, cases personally in a very emotional way. Uh, I represented um, about probably 65-70% of my caseload was personal injury work. And I saw people suffering. And I have a strong sense of justice. 
and I see these massive insurance companies with all their lawyers and all their resources. And these are the people that get hurt. They may be wealthy, but typically they're not. They're middle class and down, and they just don't have the means to go to bat, to go to war against these insurance companies. And that was kind of my role, put on the, put on the armor, go into court and try to do your best. But when things take four, five, six years, it feels like justice delayed is justice denied. And that's just the system. So for me, that was very, that was, a, I found it very difficult. And I also, so I moved into, um, I had a friend who ran for state Senate um, and he asked me to be part of his campaign. He made me his deputy campaign manager. We went, he won uh, from there. I got interested in lobbying. Um, it's kind of one of those things you, you do well on someone's campaign. There's another gig in politics for you somewhere down the road. Typically, if you do a good job. Um, I, I thought I hated the practice of law. Uh, lobbying was easily the hardest and worst work I've ever done. Just the people that you have to be around, the what I call legalized corruption. It's perfectly legal. Everything everyone does there is perfectly legal. It's all above board, but it's all about who can write the bigger checks and more of them. And when you see legislation being made that way, there's a, an expression in politics. There's two things you don't want to see being made. One is sausage. The other is legislation you get to understand it from the inside. So I did my time there. Um, just quit. I took, I had a year contract. I had a lot of money tied up in a bonus. So I waited till that bonus came in and then just left Fort Lauderdale. That was the year I was in Fort Lauderdale, went back to Key West and quite literally started cutting fence pickets for a local fence company that a friend of mine owned. He needed some help and I just wanted to be back on the tools. I had done a lot of construction work um, in my youth um, when I was younger, helped put myself through college, helped put myself through law school that way. And I love being outside. And, and so I just started working in that field. One thing leads to another. Two years later, um, I buy my own fence company. We go from that to building decks and architectural welding and start growing that business. Um, that wasn't super satisfying. So I wanted to put solar on my home and I'd always been, so maybe just push pause on that. I've always been um, very interested in the environment. I thought I was going to be an environmental lawyer. It didn't work out that way. It turns out that's very boring administrative law and <clears throat> it just didn't work for me. Um, and so I wrote my law, my entry paper to law school about how the, how it's the only way we're going to make real change is to marry the economic system to our environmental needs. Um, so I, I feel like I was, you know, 25, 30 years ahead of the curve in terms of sustainability. I've always been had that sustainability mindedness. So when I wanted to put solar on my home, I ended up installing my own solar hot water. I couldn't find a solar contractor who would work in the Keys because we had 175 mile an hour wind code. And it's very difficult to engineer a system that way. So we had, I found a, a PE, a, uh, I think that's a, a that's an engineering licensure um, that was willing to stamp my plans. He was, he was also, his name, Steve Grassley, a great guy, um, was also very environmentally um, aware and had a sustainability focus. He's actually the person, one of two people who introduced me to rainwater harvesting. He showed me his home in the Keys where he harvested his own rainwater and drank it. And that was mind blowing for me at the time. And then I did a little research, come to find out that almost every home in Key West that was built before the bridges were built, and I, I guess that was in the 50s or 60s, 
that every one of those homes had a cistern underneath it, concrete stone cistern, and they all gathered their own rainwater and drank it and used it themselves. It was only after they put the bridges in and the pipeline for the water comes. Now the water comes all the way from Miami, treated from Miami, and it goes all the way back up for treatment again. It's a lot of energy embedded in that to pump water, to move water is very heavy. So that in, that embodied energy in that water, not only is water expensive to, to, to have in your home in Key West, but it's also very energy intensive. I, I can't remember the statistic, but um, something like 8% of all the energy used in Florida Keys is used just moving water back and forth. So it's it was, and it may have been more than that. That may be an underestimation. I don't know. So that was my introduction to rainwater harvesting at that point. Then I started, once I was back in the Keys doing the sustainability work, now we can come back to the original story. I'm back in the Keys and I'm starting to do this solar thing and I'm getting involved in local projects. <clears throat> Don't recall, I started going to conferences. I'm sort of autodidactic. I've taught myself a lot of what I know. I never went to, never formal engineering school or anything like that. I have a, a Bachelor of Arts in Criminal Justice. So um I don't have a technical background, but it's always been something that I've been good at picking up, especially from a functional pragmatic side, making things actually work. So, and um, I got one thing led to another. I ended up um, with the solar company. We, it was kind of a solar company, kind of not. Um, we Solar licensure in Florida is very difficult. So I would work under an uh, as an attorney, I figured a workaround. I just got a, a power of attorney for my clients to act on their behalf. And then I just hired all the subcontractors and basically acted as a property manager more so than a contractor, but essentially supervising the projects, making sure they got the right equipment, did several systems. The, the solar rebates went away in the state of Florida. One legislative session, they decided they weren't going to do that anymore. And what was the end of the solar business? Um, it went away quickly, but it turns out I was a really bad salesman for solar because at that time solar was nowhere near as inexpensive as it is now. There wasn't the avail. This was 2009 for, for sake of reference. It just wasn't a, a, a robust enough market. The Chinese hadn't really entered the market space yet. Panels were still super expensive. All the ancillary equipment was so rare that it was very expensive. Plus we had to build special systems to deal with our wind code. Um, so what I ended up doing was talking many of my clients out of doing solar instead having them do more cost-effective options, like what I call the low hanging fruit, do your insulation, caulk your windows, replace your single pane windows with double glazed windows. Um, you know, paint your roof white. If you have, if you have the ability to do that, that's going to reflect sunlight out. We were, a you know, Key West is a hot climate. They don't have, we don't have a freezing element to it. All these little, replace your HVAC equipment. If you have old, you know, a six-year, five-ton HVAC unit, replace that. Go up to a, you know, a 25-seer system. Really um, change the mechanical equipment to, to be more efficient. All of that was cheaper at that time than doing solar. And so I ended up becoming a de facto consultant for sustainability. Happened to meet the right people at these trade groups. Um, they put me to work as, uh, as a sort of on the front lines of consulting to bring in, you know, to assess people's buildings, to assess their projects. We had a company called Economic Solutions, which was the, we married, you know, economics with the environment. We felt like I took that law school uh, entry paper 
and turned it into a business that I really believed in and tried to figure out the most cost-effective solutions to getting sustainability into people's homes, businesses, and industries. And that's how I got here. I took some took some time off in 2012, fully just took us what we what, what uh, Tim Ferriss would call a mini retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four hour work week was a big influence for me. I, I, Tim, I met one of Tim's friends down in Costa Rica when I was down there and a guy named Perry Gladstone, another influencer type, you know, like life coach style guy. And I had taken, we took, we, my wife and I, we took our three-year-old down to Costa Rica. We lived down there for almost a year. I came back to Texas, decided in a number of reasons it was time to go back to work. And this was just coming out of the last drought we had here in Texas around 2011, 2012. Um, and Lake Travis, uh, one of the big lakes here that's part of the Colorado River system that supplies a lot of the water to city of Austin was so low that you could literally see the bottom in places and docks that had been, you know, floating docks were on the ground. It's, and it's like that again, right now, we've had another drought cycle this last couple of years. So I realized at that time, my, my brain went straight to rainwater harvesting to like water. We, we've got to think about water because you can live without a lot of stuff, but without water, you're basically dead. You know, it's three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, right? That's the, the whole survival mantra. This is where I want to be. This is the space I want to be in because in Texas, water is so important. The rivers, the lakes, that's the lifeblood of Texas, the rivers and lakes here. That's what people thrive to. And then the groundwater, the aquifers, there's so many more people in Texas now than there were when I moved here. Millions more. So Texas is one of the fastest growing, may still be the fastest growing state in the country Austin, like if you remember Austin 10 years ago versus Austin now, it's it's an entirely different place. And due to that growth, but every one of those, it's not so much in Austin, but in places other than Austin that don't get their water from the Colorado, everyone's got straw down in that aquifer and they're all pulling that water up and it's not coming down as fast as it's coming out. So that's how rainwater for me. Rainwater was, I said, this is, this is an amazing technology. And even in a drought year, we had it last year. I still have a full water tank. I think uh, that that's probably one of the most like intricate and then like broad spectrum kind of, kind of intro stories that I probably had on the show. You know what I mean? Like there was like, this whole arc of like, you're, you're really just getting good at a lot of things you don't actually want to do to then end up at this place where like, I, ironically, the visual that I have now is like water being filtered into something that's like actually pure and like th- that you actually want, you know what I mean? It's like this whole spectrum of experience filtering down into yeah, yeah. this one unique thing. So yeah, thank you for it's sharing beautiful that. Beautiful metaphor, really, man. Really I see cool that. story. So Thank yeah, you. you're very welcome. Um, yeah. So listen, I'd love to then just dive into, um, you know, essentially what I can help you with today. And I only rush that because I actually would love to ask you some more other questions about this, but it's just, I, I do have a hard stop like at the end of this hour. Um, so yeah, what are the top problems that you're facing right now, whether they're like personal challenges or personal challenges kind of warped into the business? Uh, I'll just leave it kind of broad like that and then we can kind of take it from there okay so for me i i started getting business coaching last year 
I, I genuinely, I, I learned all the things like I'm a really good technician, right? I, I understand what I do, but apparently running a business, even though I've been doing it for 20 years and been relatively successful, obviously been doing it wrong. Um, all the, there were so many aspects to what I was doing that were just not correct in, in terms of how an entrepreneur should be running their business. And so I, and suddenly my eyes were open to this whole thing that I realized I didn't know what I was doing. Like I had, I was never going to scale my business. I was never going to get out of the model of the owner operator. If I didn't adopt these protocols, this, the practices that successful businesses do all the time that repeat these same steps, you know, systemization, creating processes, SOPs, the things that, that allow businesses to become bigger and thrive. And I've struggled with that process. That has been a, I tried to implement a lot of this, a lot of the things. And instead of things getting better, things got worse. You know, I ended up spending a lot more money to try to create these things, hiring more people and our productivity dropped and our quality went down um, largely Probably, maybe because I wasn't as present in the field. I was trying to do more working on the business, as they say, than working in the business. So that's been a big problem for me is, is and I'm very impatient as a human being. My, uh, for sure, my, my, my greatest flaw is my impatience. I am incredibly impatient, but it's also a gift, right? Impatience leads to trying, you know, working harder and pushing through the envelope to get to a place more quickly. But it also leaves me unsatisfied when things don't happen quickly enough. I guess, you know, it almost circles back to what we were talking about with being a lawyer. A case that takes five years is just too long, even though that's the process. And I couldn't, I just couldn't get comfortable with that. And I think I'm starting now in the last couple of months to become a little more patient to see that the patience is an issue and I just have to accept that things take a little bit longer than I'd like them to and change, especially big changes in, a, in an organization that nobody was used to, that nobody knew were coming are disruptive and dealing with and, and having a plan for dealing with that disruption. So that's been a big thing. Something else that I think we talked about last time I spoke with you was realizing that this relationship to money my 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 anxiety that builds when i'm having cash flow issues when i see the bank account dropping and the income not coming in i get into a real scarcity mindset i have a fear because i went through some really tough times as a kid when my father left our family we were we struggled um and then again, during the uh, 07, 08 recession, I was in, was a, I was the, I would, I had just, I had been in my new business for three or four years and I had just bought a house at the peak of the market. Didn't, you know, no one told me it was the peak. I was just chasing the housing market. I was just constantly trying to to a point where I could buy a home, finally got one and the market collapsed like six months later. Ended up massively underwater on that home. And so those two experience, and then and then the third one was the Deepwater Horizon spill, which 
is more of a localized recession. And so Key West being a tourist-driven economy, when that Deepwater Horizon spill hit, there were waves of cancellations of people canceling their vacations in the Keys because people weren't sure if there was going to be oil washing up. They didn't know what to expect. So they canceled their reservations. That shut down the tourist economy. And when the tourist economy dries up, the uh, cyclical industries like mine were right behind it. We were, you know, and I didn't, I hadn't had enough time in the business to accumulate enough cash, especially given the prices in Key West, what it costs to live down there, um, to really be, um, you know, able to sustain that. We ended up making it. We ended up staying in business, but only by being extraordinarily frugal and thrifty and really trying to find a way through that was not by growing revenue. We had to cut expenses and everything else in order to get there. So I think there may be some, whatever, I don't want to call it PTSD, because I think that may be a little too um, clinical, but I, there's definitely some emotional trauma around money there. And this feeling, when I start feeling as if I'm not okay money-wise, it seeps into my being, creates a lot of anxiety, and actually creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of me spiraling downward and not being as productive. And I think it, because I am the head of my company, I think it bleeds into my my relationships with the people that work with me and for me and has an effect on the entire organization. And then the final thing would probably be trust, right? Um, I have a difficult time trusting men and a lot of my best friends have been women and I probably because I was basically raised by a single mom my relationship with my dad was toxic um on a degree that is legendary I mean I actually represented my mom in her divorce against my dad for a period of about seven years out of the 15-year divorce so you can imagine a 15-year divorce and then half of that, after I graduated law school, I was representing my mom who couldn't afford an attorney um, against my dad. So that was, I probably left some marks <laughs> just, you know, and I, I feel like I've done a lot to to be really transparent in my, in my feelings about that. I don't know that I'm harboring any like real resentment, but clearly these are the things that, that I think are affecting me, the head trash that is somehow it getting in here and preventing me from being as successful in business as I think we should be given right in the last couple of years, how much sales growth we've had. We are, we're booking far more jobs than I could possibly get done. So I've had to do two things. I've had to reduce the scope of the operations that we can offer. I've had to reduce the service area that we can work in and I've had to raise prices in order to weed through, like to find the best opportunities for my business, which is maybe not a bad thing. Maybe it's a real, maybe ends up that this will all be a really good thing. Um, but I've just been I'm struggling with scaling and probably had the wrong people around. I know I had the wrong people around for a while. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I, I get into this self-diagnostic loop. You can hear me getting into right there where I start to try to figure out where's it, where's it gone wrong? What have I, what am I doing? that isn't, isn't working. Is it just me being impatient? I got to give it time to work. I got to find the right people. It's only been nine months since we started this transition. 
So, and, and there was in the last three months, things were going, things had gone bad for two quarters in a row. Productivity wise, I was killing myself in the office, trying to get things to go, but productivity kept dropping all kinds of problems in the field. I actually just started not liking what I was doing. I had got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And and I'm not good at like persevering once I've made a decision, I don't like something. Once I've made that decision, I, I tend to flee from it. This time I didn't. This time I put, I kind of just I did a brain dump, got everything down on paper that was bothering me and started working through the, the issues. And I feel like over the last several weeks, I've turned a lot of it around. The head, my headspace is much better than it was when, even when I first started thinking about doing this interview, um, I feel like since then, and maybe it was the, maybe it's just the catalyzing agent of knowing you're going to have to think about these things that, that sends the, the, you know, the brain into that space. But um, I don't know if I, if that was coherent, it probably was, uh, it seems a little incoherent to me. Um, what else do I, should I tell you? What else can I tell you? No, I, I think, uh, well, first and foremost, I just want to acknowledge how, like self-aware you actually are, right? Like uh, oftentimes, let's just say in these preliminary conversations like the podcast, or even if I have a client who's just starting, a, a lot of our early process is just kind of mapping out like what's actually going on. And I think, you know, it's abundantly clear this is not the first time you're thinking about all of these things because you describe the pattern like in its totality, right? Like I understand there was trauma around money i understand it was trauma around this you know divorce and, and this like like unique dynamic between my parents and me being in the middle and what i had to do and I understand it's somehow affecting the the success rate and my relationship with men which probably means relationship with other employees etc and like it's such so it's like you're aware of all of the pieces and and i just like i really wanted to spend some time just highlighting that because it's not a small thing to be that introspective when you have all these circumstantial pieces that are drawing your attention. Like we, we need to make sales. We need to get productivity up. We need to do this thing. So it, it is a very, very good thing. Okay. So that's like number one. Um, so number two, let's just say if I had to like distill it down into what I'm hearing, there's few main things. So, so one is like the impatience, Okay, and this lack of satisfaction when things don't get done quickly. There's the various aspects of the relationship to money. So yeah, absolutely, there will be anxiety when it's like not coming in, but it seems like there's deeper aspects of it. Like, I don't know if it's a discomfort with having a lot of it, not having, we can certainly dive into that, but like that's kind of one umbrella. So you got the impatience, the relationship with money, the difficulty trusting men and you know we can dive deeper into how that affects certain other relationship how it shows up like in the business um and then this last part and i guess you're kind of on the cusp end of that or that's has more clarity but the motivation piece like if there's a lack of clarity on where it is that i want to go or what it looks like then i have a harder time moving forward it's kind of like the four main patterns uh, that I've seen from what you've shared. So number one, like, do those resonate with you? Absolutely. And the last one you just touched on the motivation, it, it reminds me that I'm not entirely satisfied just doing the rainwater. I am 
you know, I'm really interested in going back to is that consulting that I used to do. Working with a team of people who are highly intelligent and highly motivated and really, really good at what they do, and being able to work in that environment and bring solutions to bear on projects that have real problems and solve those problems, that problem solving, that is where I want to be. And it's kind of the reason, it's not, it's part of the reason I wanted to quote unquote automate my rainwater business, the contracting side. So that I would have the, the time and space to pursue those interests. So that that motivation is very strong. That motivational aspect is very strong to go back to that, to do more of that, to enjoy that, to have conversations even like this, where I can spend the time doing the work to, to, to get better personally and then to help other people. So really like, I, feel, I mean, we, in some, my personal belief is that human beings have caused climate crisis that is existential potentially for human beings and i have seen the handwriting on the wall for some 35 or 40 years and it's now we're starting to see some of those effects i really feel an obligation to my children to their children to try to do something to like i don't want to be i don't want it to be when i'm you know, on my deathbed and, you know, what did I do to help? What did I do? What was my role in this? What can I, you know, and I feel like I have a lot to give. I feel like there's, there are solutions. I I'm an optimist, an eternal optimist. I, an idealist even maybe, but I feel like we can get there. So that motivation piece, like, even though the rainwater company is doing good, it is a, it is a source for protecting a, it is a, a, a function of protecting a groundwater resource. Like that's very important, but it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like enough for me. It doesn't feel like I'm giving the full extent of my talents to what I see as a massive problem that has a need for as much talent as possible to be applied to it. Got it. So yeah. What, and I was going to touch on this as well, but I mean, it, it came up right now, so that's perfect. It, it's like, all of like, even just the story you've shared, it's like, it's an increasingly like clear move towards more fulfillment and purpose, right? It's like every single step you've taken in your story to me, the through line is like, I'm trying to move closer to a purpose that that's like impact driven, like that, that has something deeper than, you know, I, I'm writing this like legislature, I'm putting together this contract, I'm creating this, you know, rainwater contracting service, like, all of those are a step closer in a vehicle towards more purpose. And to me, this whole last piece or the last share is like, well, there's this also motivation to like, like, there's more of me to get there's a lot of stuff in my head that can help a lot of people. That is ultimately the impact uh, that I want to make. So again, before I continue, like, how does that land for you? You're really good at this. You are really good at this. That is like exactly like now that you've articulated it, it's perfect. It's exactly it. I am seeking my purpose. This is, I know that that's why I'm here. I, I'm good at this. And I know I can, in a very pragmatic way, in a way that people can understand. I, I'm, I have the ability to take these complex concepts, complex concepts, and explain them in a way that, that isn't so complex. It's something I did as a trial attorney. I think I did it really well there. And, and I feel like I do it well 
in the business I'm in now. And I think there's, I have a lot more to give. So I think you're right. I think this purpose issue is really, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, dead on. Awesome. So what then do you think is the biggest hurdle for you embodying and living that fulfillment? I mean, clearing my day-to-day calendar, Be, you know, getting, I have this, this business requires so much of me on a day-to-day. It's, it's, so it requires more delegation than I've done. I've done some delegation, which requires the right people to delegate to. And the patience to wait for those people to enter the sphere. And not only that, to to go seek them, to go seek those people out. I actually had an interview with a a potential employee this morning that really made me feel great. I changed my entire ad copy, how I'm trying to recruit people, stopped recruiting for skills and started recruiting for values. And it really like tried to put some of my heart into the ad instead of just this is what we do. Here's what your job would be. And we got a guy that's genuinely motivated by the same things I am that may potentially come to work for us and has some skills as well, has some talent, has. And, and so I, I think just making that shift, trying to find the, yeah, it's, it's amazing when you, when you, when you see it kind of laid out like this, I know you probably have these breakthrough moments with a lot of people. I know I've heard a couple that I listen to, but it's, that's it. I mean, it's to get to the fulfillment. I have to work through all these other things first. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so happy to hear that that's like landing for you. And I guess the other part that I would reflect back to you is, and you've mentioned this yourself, like you're very good at figuring things out. Like if there's a problem and you even mentioned that's part of your purpose, like I, I want to be the person solving the problems. So even this scenario of the hiring, I know you said you had business coaches. So I'm assuming you spent a lot of time working through, okay, well, how do I set up the processes, the SOPs? How do I actually funnel people that I want to hire? And what's the appropriate, you know, hiring stages and, and all like, I'm, I'm going to assume you, you've done or invested in at least understanding the basic nuts and bolts of that. So even in this last example, it's like you troubleshooted your own problem. I was putting things out there to hire for skills. This is more of a values play. I can teach the skills. Now I'm I'm getting some good feedback. So when it comes to situations like this, where I have an entrepreneur in front of me where it's more about fulfillment. It's more about purpose. It's more about clarity. Oftentimes they'll fall into the category that you have, which is like they have the skills and, or they have enough skills to be able to navigate, to solve the objective business problem. So this is kind of a long ways to say that from at least the outside looking in from what I hear, you have enough skills to, with the right people, make your way into a business that you don't necessarily have to be in all the time, right? Kind of like you get into that four hour work week space because so much of it is systematized. So knowing that you have those skills and knowing that it's the purpose and the fulfillment and the mission and the impact that I'm really after from your vantage point, like how do you think you're getting in your own way 
to make all those things happen. I don't know. That's that's the question, right? Like that's the that's the question. What am I? I mean, I I, I do have the cycles, um, the emotional cycles that are money driven, and which feeds into the the trust relationship that not trusting and honestly you know i'm i tend to be a little over trusting at first but i'm 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 always on the lookout for that first sign of disloyalty that first sign of of abuse of trust and as soon as i see that it's very triggering and i lose trust quickly so, right, so there's like a hyper vigilance of like somebody's about to screw me over. So I got to like look at all the things and maybe sometimes that leads to painting like red flags green, but then sometimes like yellow flags red. Right. Like, would that be accurate? I think that's I think so. Yeah. And but, it, it, you know, there's enough, though, where. There's enough of I've hired the wrong people so many times out of desperation just needing a body to put in place that had some of the skills and then trying to put the value system into them Mm. and they just don't possess it. It's just not what drives them. It's a different motivational force. And that's the whole square peg round hole thing. It's just, it's just not going to work and it hasn't worked. And I have made that same mistake over and over and I, I, I think that's probably the, for like, I don't know. I don't, that seems like the biggest problem, but I know that's not the issue. The issue is what's in my head that's holding me back. Right. So how do I, how do I define that for myself? Is it, is the lack of. So I'm just going to start cutting you out just to, just for the sake of time. Now, not at all, because what you're saying is, is not, um, valid it's just more for that i'm gonna kind of pinpoint things you said i'm just gonna cut you off in certain times i'm just warning you with that ahead of time um hey i agree with you that yes you, you have it's like when the circumstantial objective outside of you problem is in front of you like i said before you you have the skill set to navigate to, to figure it out right i think where the disconnect is and, and i applaud you for being honest about it is like i'm not aware of what distortion I'm bringing to enable or contribute to some of these circumstantial problems, right? Like when I ask you, okay, what do you think is getting in the way? It's like, well, I don't actually know. So, and and I think that's actually a very good self-aware answer that a lot of people don't allow themselves to actually admit. So if you're okay with it, I'll just poke and prod into some of the things that you've mentioned already to kind of determine the maybe deeper beliefs around that, if, if that's okay with you. Please, that is that's I I do not know, and I, I'm I'm here to listen. So please, awesome. Come. Okay, so I think the first one I would start with is like, what is your definition of impatience? Because you mentioned that multiple times. Like, I have a hard time being patient. So like, what's your definition of patience or or impatience? I mean, wanting something in the immediate, and maybe you know, lack the delayed gratification not being satisfying enough you know wanting identifying something that i want to have done and it just not 
getting done in the time frame that I would like it to. That kind of that's how I see in patients. I have a I have a building that is sitting on my property that is unfinished and it has been sitting unfinished for several years. And I just like I can't seem to for whatever reason that building just can't seem to get completed. And I'm super impatient right now. I'm like I've gotten to the point where I'm just desperate to get it done. Let's just get it done for God's sake. And maybe completion is something that's really important to me. Maybe, um, maybe you know, completion is an issue for me because it these all these incomplete items. I I you know I suffered a lot from ADHD as a kid, so I probably didn't complete a lot of things. <laughs> I probably left a lot of things undone, and so I think seeing things undone as now makes me uncomfortable so if we go with that thread if things are incomplete then what does that mean about you i'm gonna have to i mean i, I would say it means that i haven't done my job i haven't i haven't i have failed in some way that these things are incomplete Okay, so I've failed if things are incomplete. So how many things out of the projects that you do are 100% in your control? How many things on the projects that I do are 100% in my control? Right, because I'll give you some context on kind of what I'm imagining. Like you, you're doing construction projects, you're doing you know projects that involve various different stakeholders. So like, I've had some like basic experience in those, and I know it's kind of like always hurry up and wait, right? Like I have to get this person to sign off. This has to be approved. Then this has person has to get back to me. Then this person has to bring in the things, and like it is like you're always hurrying up and waiting, and it's just the nature of the beast of the work that you're in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe 10% I have total control over. Okay, I mean, perfect. So if we roll with that, so you have 10% direct control over essentially the speed at which things move. The rest of the 90%, you have some influence, but you don't have direct control over. So for right. the 10% of things you actually do control completely, 100% of your self-identity is seen as a failure if things are viewed as incomplete. So what lands for you from that reflection? Well, I mean, it's, it, I hadn't really thought about the, the, how much I actually control part. And I, I think the externalities are, I mean, I'm aware of them, right? Like I know that if it rains on a day that we're supposed to be working, which is the irony of my business, people think I love it when it rains and I do, but it prevents us from working. So if it rains on a day, we're supposed to be working. We can't get that job done. And the job flows over to over the weekend to a Monday. And, you know, so now I'm three days behind on the next project that's supposed to start. It is like, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't change that, but it has a consequence to me. I have a client calling. Where are you? You said you're going to be here Tuesday. It's now Tuesday afternoon. You haven't showed up or, you know, I, we're doing a much better job of never letting that happen. Just not showing up. Our, one of our core values is communication. So 
know, making sure that if things do fall, go over, we, we do a better job. But, um, you know, I think that maybe it's the, the consequences of the externalities that make me feel frustrated. And, you know, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to like put it in perspective. I'm not, you know, I get what you're saying. I mean, I don't have control maybe control is an issue maybe maybe i'm a control freak or something maybe that's it well i mean i don't think we've explored that one enough for me to like comment or not i guess Mm. what i just want to point out to you here is hey i am not at all discounting the frustration and the logistical you know gymnastics you have to do when these circumstances change that's kind of what you said 90 percent of the things i don't actually directly control one of them which is weather so I think it's perfectly natural to be frustrated and then to have to have, you know, these fail safes or workarounds and like, how do I then shift the other projects and the communication, all of that, all that absolutely makes sense. I think what I'm drawing to your attention, at least as far as this inner limit of impatience, you sharing that, okay, so I had ADHD as a kid, a lot of things were left undone. A lot of things were left incomplete that when I saw incomplete things, that was a reflection of my failure as, you know, a, a being like a, th- th- this is reflection of why I'm failing. And then I have this thing that like I can't control. Right. And when you're sharing how you look at impatience and kind of like it shows up everywhere, like it shows up in hiring, it shows up in the actual work that I do, it shows up in how quickly things move. Sure. Yeah. We all want things done yesterday. I'm more drawing attention to like the charge you carry around impatience and and, and this limit. And to me, what I'm hearing and why I kind of shared with you. So like 10% of things you control, but it has this blanket 100%. I'm a failure. If things aren't complete, then incompletion becomes an identity thing, not the nature of the beast of the work that I do. Mm. You still be frustrated around the job and it's valid to be frustrated in their job, but there's a separation between those two. Right now, completion for you means I'm a failure or incompletion rather means I'm a failure. So of course, you're always going to be frustrated with impatience. And if you keep repeating the story of, well, I'm just impatient, Mm. it actually bypasses the real issue here, which is like, I am seeing fault in myself in essentially things where I have no direct control, which means then you don't have fault or right in them. So what lands for you there? Well, I mean, probably I, I, I'm starting to sense a pattern of I'm really hard on myself. Like I am my own worst critic and I'm, like you know there's this expression be kind to your inner child and i am just not that i am always like i am really down on my inner child all the time and then and that so that's i think that wow um i suspect that that is the head trash that is really getting in my way is that I'm unable to forgive myself. I'm unable to, you know, accept myself and be okay with, you know, my flaws and, and, uh, 
you know, just not being kind to myself. And I think once that starts happening, that's when I see that spiral of problems. That's when everything else kicks in because I'm a, if I'm unable to be, if I'm able, unable to love myself, like, how am I going to like myself? How am I going to be able to love and like other people and find the trust and find the patience and, and uh, yeah. And even from a, let's just say, in this instance, I'm, I'm drawing a parallel. I haven't actually verbally said this. So, you know, if something's not landing, by all means, let me know. But if you're noticing that, okay, this is potentially how I was parented, or this is what I heard growing up, like that sort of criticism type thing was the norm of how I got, you know, reprimanded or, or prompted to change behavior, that voice is going to internally be the voice that you use to then parent yourself and continue to parent yourself. And, and just the virtue of the observation of, well, I'm not actually giving my inner child what it needs in these moments, because even though I'm an adult and I know objectively the reality of these things, the part that's hypervigilant is constantly scanning the environment is the part that sees incompletion is basically, I am bad. I am not good enough. I am in some ways a failure, right? Yeah. Now, it's, it's the, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's the fearful child. Correct. The, the it's the the fear of criticism. It's that is that is my upbringing in a nutshell. Yeah. I had two of the most critical parents you can imagine, and which is very common for these types of patterns that are like what like the good side of your inner judge is it actually does push you to do a lot that's right but then it pushes you to do a lot while carrying a whole lot of baggage which at some point you start to crack at just because like I, I cannot carry anymore and to just bring this back to what you started this whole conversation with as far as like business problems right so it's all these inner limits are preventing my success this is why i struggle with scaling it's kind of like if everything is always pushed through this lens of, you know, completion means that I'm a failure. So now I project that onto people. If they're not completing, then I am continuing to be bad. So it's like, it's another layer of that. So you're going to make decisions that are distorted because you're basically making them from the lens of, of a wounded child. You can see how all these things interconnect, right? And I'm sure it overlaps with trust, but I think that there's like more things there that like we just don't have the time to get into right now. Yeah. Um. But do you see how, like, suddenly one thing ripples into a whole lot of things where, even though it's great that you're taking, you know, like I got business coaches and and I'm putting all these processes together, that's all great and needed objectively but it's only objectively ever going to work to move you forward if it's not also distorted by things that don't have a need anymore which is like you know your inner child coming into adult business decisions so what what lands for you there i mean all of that i mean the the whole the whole sort of pattern of behaviors and feelings that are associated with those behaviors now that i've like this would not have like I did not see this coming. This, this is, I'm writing, I'm pointing to my paper because I'm, I'm taking notes too, because 
now that I like that that it's out there in the open, it just seems so obvious. It just it just seems so obvious. But it didn't it wasn't obvious until we talked about it, until we got to that down. And it it just when I'm critical of myself, I become more critical of others. When I become more critical of others, their performance flags because they're feeling criticized, not supported. And on and on it goes, you know, it creates a feedback loop of failure because that's that's what it's going to lead to i mean nobody wants to be criticized nobody wants to be that so it's i mean i can it just it just makes perfect sense that that's the root sort of the root cause of these other things that and and again trust also definitely the trust thing feeds into that a lot you know because i didn't have trust in a parent didn't trust that person and so because i'm in a male oriented environment my inability like not only feeling you know criticized feeling a lack of trust there it creates it just creates a poor work environment and yeah i mean i can it's it just seems i hate how obvious it seems it just feels like it was right there the whole time, but I'm, I'm glad we, we, we hit it. I'm glad we found it because now I can start thinking about that a little bit more. And, and I'm certain there is work to be done there. And at least Love it. when I see myself going there, I can, I can touch that lightly and say, okay, wait, you know, this is, this is what, this is the inner child thing. This is that self-criticism thing and modify my behavior in real time to sort of deal with with that take it out of that lens for once and just separate from it absolutely so Liz, i'm so glad to hear that that's starting to land like this is like the first step of the transformation to actually healing all these things right like you the saying goes like you can't change what you can't see this is like you're opening up the door to actually see these things and yeah the the, the healing is a different process and elimination of these is a different process sure. but yeah this is by all means the first step so again um i don't want to cut this off short but i'm gonna have to cut it short um just because I, I do have a hard stop for this particular episode so thank you very much for allowing us to witness you you know through this process and if you want to just close us off and let everybody know you know where to find you who's the best person to find you floor is yours for that okay um first I just want to sincerely thank you. This, I, I'm happy that this happened. Like I'm grateful. I'm so grateful right now because it it really it what you can't see you can't change is an amazing way to put it. So thank you. Um, to find me, the easiest way to find me is is our, is our webpage, or hillcountryrainwater.com. Um, if you're interested in consulting work and stuff like that, please give me a call. But that's you know I'm that's. I'm easy to find. I'm the only Jed, J-E-D-D-E, Reganti, R-E-G-A-N-T-E, in the world. There is nobody else in the world with that name. So if you're looking for me, you can find me. I usually abbreviate my name J-E-D because who spells Jed with two Ds and an E? Only my parents. So uh, that's how you can find me. And, awesome. and, and thank you, man. Really, honestly, this was great. Like, I'm... I'm tickled.
You're, you're very welcome. I'm glad that it landed for you. And yeah, we'll include all that in the show notes as always. Um, so yeah, everybody else listening, we'll see you on the next one.